I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 13, verses 15 through 18. But what Paul is referring to is Numbers 13 and 14. And obviously time constrains me from reading Numbers 13 and 14, preaching the sermon and um, adding a few thoughts along the way. So, from Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 15. After the reading of the law of the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, talking about Paul and his gang, and they said, Brethren, I always have to pause and put parenthetical remarks in. you got to remember that um, when the synagogue officials, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you've heard that little joke about the Sadducees, right? They didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were Sadducees. But anyway, anyway, um, uh, wasn't mine. I won't take credit for it. Well, you laugh, so I will. So, um, but these, uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the um, Sadducees, you know, they heard about Paul and his people that were following him because he had a strong following. And so they thought they had got up and just preached this awesome sermon, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, etc., the uh, synagogue officials. And now they, it's like a preach-off. What do you call it when they do the dance-off thing? You know, throw down a hat and somebody dances. You throw down something else and got to dance better. Y'all don't, not dancing with the stars. Uh, never mind them. Apparently it was another generation. But so they had preached their message. Now they're challenging Paul to come outdo them to preach a message better than they preached. So here's what they said. Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. In other words, give us your best stuff. Let us hear what you got to say. And that was so stupid. Challenging Paul to even talk was a mistake. That's like hitting play on your MP3 plays. Do they still have those? All right, MP3 players. It's like hit and play on that. And so Paul immediately stood up and motioning with his hand. All right, I think that's cool. Get everybody's attention. It's like, hey, y'all. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And when he means great, he's talking about the multitude. He's not saying like famous and, you know, accomplishing marvelous things. He's talking about the population. Some scholars estimate around three million. So he made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. With an uplifted arm, he led them out. This is speaking of God. He led them out from it, speaking of Egypt. And then in verse 18, here's the whole basis of the message. For a period of about 40 years, now listen to this, this is so cool. He put up with them in 
the wilderness. God put up with his people. He tolerated his people in the wilderness. May God add his blessing and favor to the reading of his word. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, precious Heavenly Father, there's no way we can comprehend the just incredible magnitude about what took place during this time in the life of Israel. But a few thousand years later, the people of Israel still knew it very well. And Paul was reminding them of it. And so it's a lesson about obeying and disobeying and the consequences that come from it. So I pray this day that you use me as you used Paul to be able to elaborate on something that's even further removed from me than it was from Paul. So help us to understand and may we not only understand as you speak to our hearts and to our minds, may we obey. For it's in the precious name of Jesus that we do ask and pray this. Amen and amen. Let me grab a quick swallow. In our lives, we have to do things on a continuous basis from the spiritual perspective in our relationship with God. We have to look around Redeeming Grace Community Church and each person that makes it up. We have to look around and see what God is doing. God is not a needle in the haystack. God does not hide his plans. So we have to look around and see what he's doing. We have to have a spiritual awareness. We have to have spiritual radar to see what God is doing. And by the way, that spiritual awareness and radar comes from um, this person we know as the Holy Spirit of God who reveals to us the things that God is doing. But then we not only define what God is doing, then it's, of utmost importance that we are going to determine what we are going to do in response to what we have defined God is doing. You know, it's one thing to see it. It's another thing to do it. So God, at this point in the life of Israel, had brought them to the banks or the brinks of the promise that he'd made to them. You remember the promise that he made to them early on? He's going to take them to a land that flowed with milk and honey. And, you know, they were in Egypt. They were in slavery. All things were rotten. The Pharaoh was a jerk. And um, he took off his anger and stuff out on the... Uh, the Israelites, Egypt, and Pharaoh had had this major 
bout of fighting back and forth and all this sort of thing. A lot goes into this. You need to go back and read Numbers 13. We'll just read Numbers. Uh, and it's not just about Numbers. So used to be thought of as one of the most boring books in the Bible and people were afraid to say it because lightning would kill you. Don't call my book boring. Uh, but anyway, so he brought them to the brinks of their promise. Now they had to decide what they were going to do about it. Were they going to cross the river and go into the land of Canaan and possess the promise that God had given to them? Or were they just going to hang out there? So as this is what convinces me that they were Baptist. They were Israelites, but they were Baptist. They appointed a committee, a committee of 12, and so they sent out the 12 to spy out the land. Let's check out this land. You guys come back and tell us what it's like. If you don't come back, we know you got killed and we know this isn't the land. These were smart uh, Israelites, all three million of them. And so they sent 12 over there. And they saw all, I mean, the land truly flowed with milk and honey. I mean, it was everything God said it was. What else would it be? What God said it was. And they came back. But there was this one little bitty detail that had ten of them all messed up. It was all these armies and all these soldiers and these giant dudes. And they were, I mean... They needed the grown-up diapers because they were so scared. They wet, wet themselves literally because uh, they did not say in, they did not see any way possible to go into that land and possess it because they came back and they told the people. Here's what they said. Here's the report. That land is full of strong people, cities large and fortified. Giants, Amalekites, Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, and Canaanites. And I always like the word termites. But anyway, had all these peoples there. And it's scared. You got 10 guys. And some think 12. And I believe there were 12. Not, not Joshua and Caleb. But all through, the word spread through 3 million people. And the people were positioned to, to possess the promise that God had given to them, but they rebelled, thus refusing the, to receive God's reward that he wanted to give them. Now here comes God's judgment. You know, when we rebel against God, uh, he takes it personally. Because if God speaks to your heart or God speaks to my heart and he tells me something to do, he expects me to do it. He's not given me an option. He's not saying, hey, Dave, or David, or David Allen, whatever how he chooses to talk to me. Would you mind doing this for me? No, it's commands. There are a lot of people in this day and age that believe since that we're under grace that we can pick and choose and... The commands of God are multiple choice. I will venture to say that is uh, baloney and it's not biblical. 
We are saved by the grace of God, and that's where grace keys in. It is not a way out of obeying God. Uh, I had a knockdown drag out with someone over that one, but uh, as I saw it, I won because uh, God just doesn't work that way. He's God. He's, you know, it's not like you and I negotiating something. But anyway, I got to move on because uh, I won't finish. Some of y'all might go to lunch. Uh, so, God's judgment. And you know what his, God, his judgment was? He put up with them in the wilderness for 40 years. And all of the adults, now think about this, 3 million people. It doesn't give us percentages about uh, how many are adults, how many are children, etc. But adults... All of those who refused to receive the promise, their judgment was to wander in the wilderness and die. They would not be allowed to enter into the promised land. And just for some of you who think your sin doesn't affect someone else, all these people who rebelled against God had children. Not all of them, but, you know, most of them had kids. And those kids had to grow up in the desert. And it wasn't their fault. They didn't rebel against God. It was their dads and their moms that rebelled against God. And so, in fact, let me just read to you real quick. Oh, that's not the one. Old school may not be the best thing after all. Uh, here it is. It says, all this is from uh, Numbers 14, 1 through 3. It says, then all the congregation, all these roughly 3 million people, they lift up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. That's a pitiful sight, isn't it? And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, it's always the preachers and the prophets' fault. But anyway, and all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would it had not been better if we died in the land of Egypt? That's my tone to it. Or that we would have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing... Now listen to this guilt trip. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Now you think about that, using those dudes, using their wives and children to try to guilt God and uh, bringing them to that point, like you can guilt God. But the question is, was and still is, does God still have to put up with people acting that way today, wandering in the wilderness, living risky lives of rejection and rebellion against God? All right, getting to the points now. When we wander in the wilderness, when we choose to disobey God, what we're essentially doing is forgetting about God's power. 
we forget about God's power. And that's why these people were grumbling and crying and whining and making up these excuses. God had got them to this point. He had helped them escape from Egypt. Now, granted, Egypt was chasing after them and stuff, but uh, they were they forgot. So it boils down to a fear versus faith thing. Fear of their enemies versus faith in God. And really, when you think about it, there's no excuse in our lives for a lack of faith. If our God can save us and give us a home in heaven and take care of us, then why do we forget our faith so fast? I mean, our faith can be like vapor. Our faith can be like vapor on a mirror that we blow on or glass, and it's there and gone. Sometimes that's how our faith works. But our fear can get implanted in our heart. And a real quick illustration is when Goliath showed up. Y'all know the story. And you had an entire army of Israelites just scared to death. They were in their tents, and the Bible says some of them were hiding under their cots. I mean, they were shaking like leaves on a tree. It was pathetic. This is the army. And then comes along a little dude by the name of David who's not afraid of Goliath because he has faith in God. And he was not afraid to take on Goliath. He would have taken on an army of Goliaths. So there's no excuse for a lack of faith. The Lord said to Moses again, How long will this people spurn me or make me mad? How long will they not believe in me despite all the signs I have performed in their midst? That's from Numbers 14.11. See, they saw all these miracles. And then it makes you wonder how it only took ten people to turn three million people against the will of God. That holds true in church, folks. I've been doing this long enough to know that this is true. You can have a whole church just absolutely blazing on fire for God. Then you get what I call these little unholy huddles where two or three people get together. They're usually mad at the preacher about something or they're mad about another staff member. Uh, I've actually had to stop people from beating up staff members before, and of course I regretted it later. I thought I should have let them go. But anyway, uh, it's amazing what happens in church. And so uh, it only took the ten to turn the multitude. And they quit following Moses, and they ultimately quit following God, because these ten Israelites that they sent to check out the land, they came back and they fed their fears instead of fueling their faith. And they possibly were encouraging the people to go back to Egypt to choose slavery over freedom. Timothy 
in 2 Timothy 3.8 says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith. The New Living Translation says their faith was counterfeit. Janus, I got to do this quickly. What time is it? I got to do it very quickly. All right. There are scholars who believe. They got to remember there's three million, all right, Israelites. So there are scholars that believe this Janus and Jambres were two Egyptians that pretended to be Israelites, and there were probably more. And so they planted, you know, they went with the Israelites to try to keep them stirred up against the leadership of Moses. And so they would go around and do the little unholy huddles and stuff, and then one would go to the other, the other, you know, et cetera. It would be like a domino effect. And so uh, they caused these people to be scared to death. You know one thing that fear does to us when it comes to our relationship with God? It causes us to freeze up. Fear does funny things to us. I'm going to tell you a personal story. Not proud of it, but I'm going to tell it. Uh, I don't like spiders. Alright? Dead ones I can deal with. Live ones, no. But a long time ago, I was driving in Snellville, and thank the Lord I was on the back road. Uh, and, you know, one of the shortcuts. And so while I was driving, you know your little vents where your air condition blows air out? Well, this left vent right next to the door, out comes a spider. Now, granted, he would have fit on the top of a dime, but he was furry. So it scared me. So I was paying a lot more attention to this spider than I was to driving. And so I calmly, without any jerks or anything else, because I didn't want him to attack me, I pushed the little button, you know, that makes the window roll down. So I succeeded. And so the little spider was now on the edge of my door. Perfect position to slap him out into the wilderness where he belonged. Now, unbeknownst to me, I had actually stopped the car in the middle of the road. And so I hit that little spider, but unfortunately he had a bungee cord attached to his bottom. And so when I hit him, he went out. I was happy for a second because then the bungee cord brought him right back in and he landed on my lap. And so here I am sitting in the middle of the road, stopped dead, and I just... Even in my fear, I smashed that little spider flat on my leg with the fear that he was going to bite me and kill me right there. But anyway, uh, and that's true. I mean, I did all that. And um, remember, they have bungee cords. You know, of course, I knew later it was a spider web, but it was just weird. It just went out and then right back in. Fear went out and right back in. And it it does. It makes us do funny things. It makes us forget all the stuff God's done for us. 
Now you think about that for a second. Fear can make us forget everything that God has done for us. And those ten were successful in doing so. But what about faith? If fear freezes us, what does faith do? It frees us. F-R-E-E-S. Just so we don't get the two words simulated. You had Joshua and Caleb who also went over there. And then in Numbers 13, verses 30 through 33, it says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, We should by all means go up and take possession of the land, for we will surely overcome it. He wasn't afraid of the armies. He wasn't afraid of the giants. He wasn't afraid of anything. Do you know why? Because his faith was in God, just like David as a child was not afraid to take on one man that the entire army of Israel would not face. And so that's what faith can do for us. We're willing to take on anything, anything that God tells us to do. Whatever God tells us to do, he is going to supply the power to do it. No matter who we are, no matter how inadequate we might feel, no matter what the lack of resources we may possess, God will accomplish his plan. Those people that rejected God's plan that day missed out on the glory that God was about to give to Israel. So Caleb said, we should go and take it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone with them, the other ten, said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel bad report of the land which they spied out, and the land through which they had gone spied out. So, again, you had all these people And there will be, there'll be people that will try to convince you that your faith is phony. Uh, I've had people tell me, I've had family members tell me that my faith was just a crutch to get by in life. I have no problem with saying that my faith is a crutch to get by in life. In fact, give me two crutches. Because faith is what holds us up. Faith is what gives us courage. Faith is what gives us boldness. Faith is something that will grow stronger and stronger in our lives if we allow it to. In fact, Paul talks about faith unto faith, which means that our faith can grow stronger. So it's a very simple premise. We make the decision if we're going to let our lives be governed by fear. Tiny little spiders that crawl out of a vent no bigger than a dime, especially in the sight of God. Are we going to allow that to determine the decisions that we make? Or are we going to allow faith that was born in us the moment that we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord? Are we going to allow that faith to grow, to cultivate, to blossom, and to empower us to move mountains? You remember what he said? 
if we just had the faith the size of a mustard seed, we could do what? I just gave you a hint. We could move mountains. I worked at Goldkist, which was a farm store for a while when I had a real job. We sold mustard seeds, and they are tiny. They are super, super tiny. I can't tell you how tiny they are. Well, I could, but they're tiny, tiny. And he said, that's all the faith we have to have. Because that little bitty mustard seed grows into a huge, huge plant. And that's what our faith will do if we'll allow it. Those people who rebelled against God that day, they ended up dying in the wilderness. But their children, who did not make the same mistake twice, 40 years later, who responded in faith, got to witness the glory of God as he parted the Red Sea, wiped out their enemies behind them, and gave them a land flowing with milk and honey, all because their faith superseded their fear. Let us pray. Almighty God, precious Heavenly Father, the dilemma between faith and fear really does come down to the choice of obedience versus disobedience. And Father, may we be found faithful in all things. May we obey all you tell us to do. We're going to mess up at times. There are going to be times that fear overwhelms us because we just don't feel that we're up to the task. But remind us, Father, that what you call us to do, you empower us to accomplish. And it will cause our faith to blossom into something glorious that will honor you and that will cultivate our relationship with you. So it's not complicated. It's not something you have to have a seminary degree to understand. It's a matter of the heart. And may our heart always belong to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.